Mom, stop texting me. I'm podcasting. <laughs> Those are my names. You don't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not my magazines. Sharing the back. Welcome back to the Chasing Tone Podcast. I'm Brian here with Max and Anthony again from Texas Blues Texas Alley. Texas Blues Alley. Yes. Check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. You've got to. Got to if you love blue stuff. It's so. where all the guitar slingers go. <laughs> it is. It is. So today we talk about. That's terrible. We, <laughs> <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> today we talk about what Stevie Ray Vaughan would would do tonally if he was still alive, and what he would have continued doing from from the point that he died. And we also talk about what kind of pick to pick, and how to hold it, and how to hold it. Brad Barber writes in. I've always wondered that if SRV was alive today, what direction would he have gone tonally, if in any at all? So the question is, if Stevie Ray Vaughan were still alive, I was expecting him to ask what direction would he have gone musically. That's a different Everybody topic. knows he'd have been a chicken picker. Yes. With a Telecaster. That's the, reason, that's the direction he was going. Everyone knows that. But this question was, where would he have gone musically? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, this is all speculation. Nobody can say that for sure. But if you look at his trajectory... So, Max, you might have to help me with this. Obviously, his last studio album was In Step. Yeah. The album before that, which came first, Soul to Soul or the live album? I thought Soul to Soul did. Yeah, okay. So Soul to Soul was the previous album to In Step. So in Soul to Soul, I can't remember exactly, but there's a fair amount of straight-ahead blue stuff. On In Step, the biggest difference was In Step was the only album he put out while he was 100% off drugs, like he was clean. And the song structure and orchestration is notably, I wouldn't say more complex, but it's more thoughtful on the in-step album. Very much so. Uh, part of that, I think, is because I think he was writing more stuff with Doyle Bramhall during that album. Um, his tone on that album got a lot more complex than it had been on previous albums. And if you read the stories of what it was like recording the in-step album uh he had somewhere in the ballpark of 30 amps i believe uh for real there's a picture and he would it was it was a wall of amps and he would experiment but but you're talking about like not 30 amps not all at one time but he would have i don't however many he decided he wanted to play at one time they would figure out a combined tone from all those amps that was what he was going for so if you listen to the tone of those songs compared to his earlier stuff, the tones are a lot harder to pin down because you have a combination of clean from one amp, dirty from another. I mean, God only knows what all he was doing with those things, but it's a lot harder to accurately copy those tones than almost anything else. So if you look at the trajectory of where he was going from soul to soul to end step, you know, a lot of things could have happened. He could have discovered some things on InStep that he decided to kind of push the envelope a little bit more after that and his tones could have got increasingly complex or as you've seen some other people do uh kind of reach the end of what he felt was fun complexity wise and just kind of do a retreat back to your origins like i'm just going back to my vibe reverb with tube screamers for an album or something like that 
Um, Hendricks, this is where I wanted to ask you guys, Hendricks is kind of the same way where he got really, I don't want to say weird, by the, but he recorded a lot of stuff that was kind of out there, both tonally and musically. And I often wonder, like, not just musically, but also with tone, what, what do you think Hendricks would have been doing if he had lived, you know, another 30, 40, 50 years? Man, I can't speculate on that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, that's like... See, Hendrix Bryan was It's like, guy. what would happen if Brad Paisley decided that he was going to play just straight-up metal? Yeah. I don't know. Brad Paisley being the best guitarist alive. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> because of his use of the G-Bender and yeah. the Telecaster. And the Paisley Wait, drive. Next to Brent Mason. Or, mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're both pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, Anyways, Steve Ray Vaughan. But Max, <laughs> I know that you were influenced a lot by Steve Ray. I'm a Ray. huge Steve yes, uh, When you listen to the Instep album and you think about where he came from tone-wise, what do you see when you think about where he may have gone next after that? It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, talk about like the wall of amps. Um, Rene Martinez, his guitar player, actually built mm -hmm. like a six-way splitter. So you run six different amps at a time. That was his live um, I, I've read you know, different interviews. He used two of those in series in the studio. So, and Instep, I think at one point he's using up to ten different amps Jeez, at once. Wow. Um, then I read a really cool article. I think Osladano actually made two different uh, 100 watt prototype heads for him, and he never received them because he, he died like three weeks before they were finished. Wow. So I mean, that was that's kind of a totally different. So he was already direction. kind of there were some things was on moving. the horizon yeah. right then that he, he was, was already kind of pushing the envelope. Yeah. yeah I, I, if I remember, right, the Solanos were like tweed covered. I mean, like huge, like basically like his uh, his dumbbells, but super uh, high headroom and not a lot mm. of drive behind them. So yeah. mm. it would have been really interesting to kind of see where that ended up. Yeah. You know, it's you also got to think about when it was that he died. It was uh, 1990, correct? Correct. So what was happening gear wise? Around 1990, racks. I mean, of course, racks were huge yeah. in that era. So he was and already then, he was bucking the trend right. in the 80s. Yeah, because yes. he was going back to real right. organic. And then after that, that's when it changed back to Kurt Cobain type stuff. Right. So everybody's like, "No, we don't want racks. We want pedals." Right. Maybe he would have been like, "You know what? I'm going to dive into some rack stuff." Yeah. Or he could have been like uh, super into like, you know, maybe like. I think what sometimes people forget is that we live in the best era there's ever been for tone mm -hmm. right now. I think it's safe to say that. There's a not, million different choices. Exactly. That's what, not because the equipment's so much better, but well, and a lot of times it is because people pay closer attention to Technology some manufacturers. Technology better. Exactly. But there's a lot more options. Like there are less steps to getting the right. tone you want now than there ever have been. A good example is like pedals, for example. Yeah. You did not have... 500 different boutique companies yes. or companies in general to buy yes. an overdrive from. Yeah, the back when uh, back when Stevie was getting his tube streamers modded, they weren't based off of uh, Keeley. Uh, exactly, <laughs> you know, it's like he wasn't doing the Keeley mods back exactly. Then. <laughs> so, you know, it could be one of those things where if if his tonal goals didn't continue to change out into you know whatever the tones that he had always been after, he may have been somebody who had a signature line of effects from somebody because I'm they sure. could they could give him and in a box what he used to use I, four boxes. Oh, I'm absolutely yeah. I mean, well, but then that begs the question: Would he have wanted his yeah. own line of guitars? Would he have gone the Eddie Van Halen route? and be like, I got my guitars, I got my EBH yeah. amps, I got yeah. You know what I mean, would he yeah. have done that? I don't so know. No, I don't think so. Like I, it doesn't it doesn't strike me that way. Like reading reviews of them, like Caesar Diaz, like when he modded his fuzz pedals, he actually had like 
four different fuzzes depending on what temperature it was of the venue he was playing. Oh, yeah. Because, wow. yeah. like, the germanium resistors would act differently and that's sort Transistors, of yeah. Transistors. Yeah, yeah, yeah germanium. This is testing here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you passed the test. Good job. But, yeah, yes. <laughs> he seemed like a guy, like, um, I was reading his book, um, uh, cross, I think Caught it was Caught in the Crossfire. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he was talking about, like, calling one of his girlfriends up at, like, 3 in the morning and be like, I just played this awesome Rickenbacker. Like, you know, when he's, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I could just see him, like, whatever sounded good, whatever he got his hands on. Right. I think that's what he played. I don't know if he'd ever, like, would have went to a corporate signature. I think he would just right. played the junk guitar just, found in the pot shop. I mean, it strikes me, and you guys are way more into that than I was, but it strikes me as he was more of a guy that just, he was just playing and just doing what he did. Like, he wasn't so concerned about getting signature anything. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah, it was I mean, more about the end result than it, the equipment. That yeah, got him I mean, like yeah. it, like it didn't matter what was cool at the time or what everyone right. else was doing. Yeah. He just did his own thing and uh, you know yeah. didn't really care what anybody else thought. And of course, this is all speculation. None of us has any idea, so take it right. for what it's worth. But uh, it right. just he left his last album was kind of I don't want to say the worst possible ending to his career, but it was a change. Like mm-hmm. it was a yeah. definite change in direction slightly from what he had done before both tonally and musically and it's you know when you just start changing direction it could end up anywhere so it's right. kind of i think that's part of why his legend is so big is that you know he he was on a course most of his career and then at the very end it veered a little bit this mm-hmm. way and so you're kind of left wondering well i wonder what he was what direction he was heading, but yeah. you know, you, you just never know. Kind of so. like what you were telling me about Justin Timberlake, you know, as big of a fan <laughs> as you were, right? Stop yeah. it, Ryan. <laughs> Maybe that was someone else. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, anyways, that's all I have to so, say. So, about so that. I mean, yeah. So tonally, it's all speculation. Who knows? Yeah, you definitely would be playing a wah pedal. Yes, and probably some form of a wah pedal. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Nola writes in, ask Anthony about the pros and cons of using the brown part of the pick. And was it hard to get used to? Uh, what people are talking about is, uh, I don't focus enough on the picking angle of uh, in my lessons, but when you do happen to see me picking, I will be using the fat corner of the pick as opposed to the peak of the pick like most people. That's just weird. Yeah, it is weird. So, why is uh, back when I was learning how to play guitar, I was the only person. I mean, I listened to Albert King and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. But most of what I know how to do, I learned from Stevie Ray Vaughan. And when you're young and impressionable like that, when you hear, oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan did this, well, then you start doing it. And uh, so that's why I started playing this way, because I heard that's how he holds the pick. Uh, and I didn't understand why at the time, but I just did it. And uh, I can't remember thinking like, oh, this feels weird, you know, because I hadn't been playing long enough to really have an opinion about how a pick should feel. You see, that's the way it should be done. Exactly. So as it turns out, there are some advantages to doing it this way. So basically the pointier, the part of your pick that's interacting with the strings, the harder it is to get past the string because it can, it can penetrate into the strings farther and can, I don't want to say get stuck there. But the rounder that curve, the less force that it takes to go over the strings. Mm -hmm. So it's just a small difference between the pointy end and the fat curve of the pick for most things that you're playing. The real benefit to playing this way is that when you go to do that really fast picking, 
call it tremolo picking. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I always called it. Um, I, for, I had a term for it I used to, to call it. But uh, for that, using the pointy end of the pick is not even an option. You're, 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 get stuck on it. you're getting stuck on the string. So for that, what I use is actually the flat side of the pick. Not even the fat corner, but the flat side. And then when you're going over the strings, if you angle your pick like this, it slides over the strings much easier than just the pointy side. So when you get into doing that, that's the real benefit of using the fat corner is because it's literally changing from this to this, from the fat corner to the flat side. Gotcha. So what it does tonally, I'm sure there are differences, but that's not why I do it. I do it because that's how I learned. And it turns out that for certain things, associated with the Stevie Ray Vaughan style of playing, the flat side of the pick is, is very beneficial. So I, so I actually have no idea, aside from using this size pick regularly, what, what do other people do? Like I know you play a lot of country stuff. Do you use a regular flat pick or do you use finger picks? Both. Or? Okay. It depends. So like if I'm doing like a 90s country thing, which doesn't come up very often, but if someone, you know, in the VFW is like, Hey, do some Alan Jackson, you know, then I'm like, all right, time to get the finger pick on, you know. Right. Um, but for most of the stuff, for the bro country stuff that's going on now, it's just country. a pick. Okay. Because most, it's, it's basically just rock with okay. a cowboy hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't even want the cowboy hat anymore, but I mean, for the most part, it's just, it's just straight up rock chords. Okay. So you just use a regular pick, pointy end. For newer stuff, yeah. Okay. yeah do you it, do it, any it, hybrid picking? Do you use any finger? Uh, you know, very small amount. Okay. Like, for the most part, if it, if it's really more of like a, if it's a Brent Mason type of thing, then for the most part, I'm finger picking. Okay. Just because that's his style. I mean, he, right. like, even if he's in a fast run, it's finger picked. He's not right. alternate picking at all. And that's not just about how you pick the strings, that has an effect on your tone as well. That's a sound. Well. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's a huge part of the sound, right. yeah. So someone like Brad Paisley will, he uses, I mean, kind of a combination. He will do some alternate picking, he'll right. also. He's got uh, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. the fingers going there yeah. too. And a lot of guys in Nashville now are doing that too, so. Okay. It, so, but it's a different sound, you know? Yeah. Um, me personally, like, if, if it's like, if it doesn't really matter, I actually feel more comfortable just using my fingers. Oh, really? So a lot of times I'll actually, I'll take my pick and actually cup it into my hand while, okay. while I'm thinking. Right. You know what I mean? So and I, like, a lot of people that feels weird. For some reason, that doesn't feel weird. Is there any stuff you can't play that way? Like, is there stuff? Yeah, so if it's like a fast run or something, but I can just real quick right. go like that. And then so like a little out. magician's mm -hmm. trick there. Yeah, so yeah, I just... I won't, You're not going to win any awards for that, but it's useful <laughs> to be able to do. <laughs> now you, see you never know. <laughs> yeah. no, never say never. It could be a new category at the uh, Country <laughs> Music Awards for... Best D dumbest palm to hand pick technique. <laughs> that's a, that's a new one. that's a new one they're doing this year. Now, Max, you and I have some of the same influences, and there's some overlap in the the kind of music that we play. I'm curious how you hold the pick and what reason. Sure, I'm actually kind of a, a combination of, of both. Um, talk about big influences for me. Uh, Hubert Summerlin was a big okay. influence for me. I never used the pick. Uh, Derek Trucks is another one. So like, okay. I kind of grew up listening to those guys. Uh, so I, I rarely use a pick. If I do, I'm kind of the antithesis of you. Really? Mine's yeah. super pointy. I was going to say, yeah, oh, you're, yeah. The, you're the polar Very opposite. Yeah, so yeah, you're I'm a Tortex. I'm super pointy. Huh. So yeah. Do you use thin or? Uh, it's uh, uh, 0.88 mil, so kind of right in the middle. Okay. It's yeah. kind of flexible, yeah. but mm -hmm. still kind of stiff. And yeah, so mm -hmm. if I do huh. use a pick, but yeah, I'll, I'll mute. I'll use these two fingers or these three fingers. 
And let's bring it back up if I want to hit strings really, really hard. Now, when you're finger picking, are you, how many, are you mainly just using your thumb and your index finger Pretty to pick Pretty much, stuff? yeah. I'll okay. grab strings with those two fingers a lot. Right. Do you use all your fingers? No, no. I'll, I'll use these three max, but I'll use most of my palm just to mute that yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, pretty much I'll, I'll grab like Sean Costello thing. I'll, right. I'll grab two strings with just these two fingers. Right. So that's interesting. Like your, even though we ended up studying from some of the same guys, your approach to picking was shaped by some of your earliest influences. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. And same, same with me, even though I ended up listening to a bunch of guys, Stevie Ray Vaughan was my first main influence, which completely shaped how I held the pick. Yeah. And it's like, once you get used to it, it's very hard to, to go back. <laughs> it's very hard to switch to something else. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Even now for me, it's it's hard. I never was a very good alternate picker. You know what I mean? So, like, even though I grew up in the 80s, like, trying to play George Lynchy type stuff, mm -hmm. or, I mean, all that stuff, I sucked at it really bad. Yeah. For some reason, it was always easier for me to finger pick. So, huh. Um, so, yeah, even, like, now when I try to alternate pick, I can't, like, like I suck at sweeping, I suck at doing right. anything, any sort of fast run. Yeah. Uh, even legato stuff. Now. So, I think the moral of the story is, like, take it back to the original question why I hold a pick that way it's just because that's how I started learning and there is one kind of narrow case where there's an advantage to using the fat side but other than that you know I say just use whatever feels the most natural to you because it's more about your technique than the pick right. yeah. like if you have good picking technique you'll notice a change in tone and it might be a little bit easier or less easy depending on what pick you use but your picking technique is more important than how you hold the pick I right. think for most people, so it's like you're if you're having a limitation, it's not based on not holding the pick right. the right way. I don't think. Hmm. So uh, I'm sure, like if I started playing with that round part, right. it would sound dramatically different since I never do that. Yeah, not only because be a it's a different part of the pick, but also because your familiarity with the feel of the fretboard is based on how you normally hold the pick. Right. And all of a sudden, you go from a point like this mm -hmm. to a round edge like that. Your licks are going to feel different as you play them, right. and so you're you're not going to play the same way until you get used to how that pick feels. You know, so it, it can definitely, I think, have a big impact on your overall sound if you go you know fooling around with how you hold mm -hmm. the pick. So, have so. you tried like any other types of picks? Like anything more um, round or anything thicker? I mean. I have which, which gone, favorite? see, this is an Ernie Ball heavy, so I don't know the exact thickness of it. Uh, I used to use the Dunlop Tortex whatever 1.0. That was my go-to pick. But I had such trouble gripping them that I used to take a razor blade and score yeah. it this way on both sides so that I could actually hold on to it. Some, yeah. The problem was part of the reason you use a 1.0 pick is because it doesn't flex a whole lot. Well, right. when you go cut a bunch of grooves in the side of the pick, now all of a sudden <laughs> you can feel it bend a lot. Um, so I eventually dis discovered that I can just hold on to a glossy pick a lot better than I can hold on. Uh, and so that's the primary reason I'm still using these. But I've used picks that are heavier and I've heard what it does for your sound. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, it feels easier to get the same amount of intensity with a heavy pick. Sometimes it's a different thing. But you lose mm. a little bit of... Uh, there's a trade-off, I think, sometimes between pick thickness and sparkle, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. you switch totally. to a really thin pick, your strings react differently. Mm -hmm. um, but a thin pick, I cannot get the strings to do what I want them to do 
with a pick that flexes too much. So, have you, have you tried the Hercos that have like the grippy stuff on them? I have not. Most, like and the reason picks. I can't use a lot of those because most of those who have picks that have grippy stuff, it's all designed for somebody that holds the pick at the fat end. Right. So, like, there's a whole category of picks that I can't use because I would flip it around and now you've got this real Sand sticky paper. stuff like <laughs> catching on your strings there. So, right. um, I'm not very, um, I feel I'm embarrassed even. I'm not very picky about my picks. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, um, you should be when we get to you. <laughs> there you was really no way around it, you know. I just use <clears throat> kind of a heavy, glossy pick and hold it backwards. And that's and, what I'm used to. And your whole thing is, like, that's your favorite pick. Yeah, right? actually, uh, Mark McDaniel, if you're listening out of Nashville, uh, uh, Summer Nam 2015, hit me to these, and I've, I've never went back. Oh, what kind is it? It's a it's a it's a sharp uh, by Tortex Tortex okay. sharp, eighty mm -hmm. mil, but it's like super pointy. I remember shredder pick when you were a kid. That they we used to file picks seriously. Yeah. People would file them that way. So what do you notice differently about the? I'm assuming the picks you used before weren't quite as pointy. Yeah, yeah, they weren't quite as pointy. I'm, I've noticed just with a pointy pick, um, it's another pun. It's a sharper <laughs> attack. <laughs> uh, no, but but seriously, um, yeah. like I have a pretty mid-range heavy hand, anyways. I've noticed with a sharper pick, I get a little more high, higher frequency, a little more high end attack out of it. So, and right. I, I have a kind of a soft approach, anyways, and that point really helps me yeah. dig in. But see, I choke up on my pick quite. So you a don't bit. have much wow. of it flapping yeah. around yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah so I don't hold it back here. It's 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 just barely exposed when I choke up yeah. on it. So there's a lot, there's not a lot of give behind it. Okay, but it's still enough flex where it's comfortable. I feel like holding a quarter or a biscuit. Or so something. you've changed your uh, favorite pick fairly far into your playing career. Yeah, 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 for sure. Within the last two years, and I'll, I'll never. If these go out of business, I will buy every <laughs> single one of them. <laughs> the moral of the story is: if you want to extort Max someday, buy a bunch of those picks and then convince the company to go out of business. <laughs> Max, I heard you like you tube ask. screamers. Yeah. You have a bunch of picks that you yeah. might like. <laughs> so. All right, so cool. Yep. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Chasing Tone. If you have any questions, uh, if you're watching YouTube, comment below. And also make sure you like and subscribe if you're not subscribed to our channel. If you're not subscribed to your channel, you should stop right now and ask yourself why, because that's something <laughs> you need to do. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you contact us at podcast at womplerpedals.com. Uh, you can always call the office as well and talk to, call ca talk to Max. Ask for Max. Don't call <laughs> I'm serious. Don't call the office. He prefers to get the questions about amps. He does. He does. And, and ask he him does. about picks. He loves to talk yeah. about picks. So for, for Brian, nice. Max, and this guy here from Texas Blues Alley, uh, join us again this week. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for watching. Stop texting me, I'm podcasting.